on December 11th, 1987, after spending time with her husband at a bar in Gothenburg, Nebraska, a young lady disappears. Since then, she has never been seen again. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring in the case of Christy Joe Nichols. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement. <laughs> Which actually, it's not a basement tonight. Yeah, we're we not are, in a basement. We're in a studio. We're actually in a studio with a restaurant next door. So if you hear some loud clanging. and Those, those cooks are angry. They are not happy <laughs> at the orders they are receiving. But uh, So we are at the um, Cigar Store, Cigar Idiots, Store Idiots, Idiots studio in studio. downtown Rome, Georgia. But enough with the riffraff. Let's get to the more important stuff. We got a five star <laughs> review, I think. We sure do. On a, a five twenty, username Boop YD gave us a five star review, and they said, "Really enjoy these Southern boys talk true crime." And well, hit the no- nail on the head there, <laughs> didn't they? That's all we try to do, man. And then we uh, on the Patreon front, we have a new patron at the $20 tier and that is Miss Nicole Walker. Thank you Miss Walker for helping these two southern boys out. That's beyond amazing. This is uh if we can just get a couple thousand more. Yeah, that would we could quit our day jobs. And this podcast would actually start being good. <laughs> so the good news is we are drinking local because this case takes place in Nebraska. First time we're venturing to the Cornhusker State. We can't get shit from Nebraska. No. No. So we're drinking Terrapins Los Bravos. It is a Mexican-style lager, and it is very easy drinking, and it is free. Fucking delicious <laughs> and free. But yeah, We may or may not be raiding the, the cigar fridge store of Cigar Store Idiots. We'll leave a 20 on the table. (laughs) But let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking about the disappearance of Christy Joe Nichols. Which is very crazy, and it has been featured on uh, Unsolved Mysteries. So if you're very curious, sorry, I'm making a whole lot of noise. Can you not get your grimy paws on that? What is that? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, use two hands. That, that'll make it a lot less noisy. <laughs> All right, fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're talking about Christy Jo Williams. She was born on September 6, 1965. Her parents divorced when she was young, but she did grow up in a loving family that included her mother, Connie, stepfather, Greg, brother, Corey, sister, Cindy, and three stepbrothers. Family was very important to Christy Joe, and she always dreamed of becoming a mother. She graduated from Overton High School in 1983, and she did attend a semester of college, but decided it was not for her. Christy also felt in her late teens she did not want to follow the rules of her mother's house, so she decided that she would just move out and move in with her 
paternal grandmother, Violet Williams, in Gothenburg, Nebraska. Now, it was in Gothenburg. Gothenburg is such a weird name for a place in Nebraska. I have a very, very, very dear friend that lives in Gothenburg, Sweden. And I'm assuming that's what that was named for after. I would say so. But why Why would you name name a place in Nebraska, Gothenburg? It's just so weird to me. It's almost like finding little Bavaria in the Alps. I mean, what could be going on? <laughs> I don't know what that means. But if you ever go to Helen, Georgia, we took my German friend who is from Bavaria. We took him to Helen one time. Was he? He was like he was not impressed. Yeah, I was gonna say. He was like, "This is bullshit." <laughs> <laughs> so now it was in Gothenburg where she would meet and marry Mark Nichols in 1984. This would be Mark's second marriage, and there's not a whole lot out there on Mark's first marriage. And as we get into the case, you'll probably figure out why. So Mark and Christy Joe welcomed their first child, a daughter named Lindsay, in December of 1984. And then in April of 1986, their son Preston was born. Now, Christy was uh, quite timid and shy around strangers, but those close to her know she was extremely smart. From the outside looking in, Christy and Mark shared the all-American family dream. However, Christy Joe was being abused by Mark, and their relationship was on the rocks to say the very least. Allegedly. Oh, I'm sorry, Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Mark was domineering towards Christy and made sure he was always in control. Christy Joe would often be seen with bruises and even had a few ER visits due to the assaults. Now, around December the 1st, 1987, Christy Joe would once again head to the ER to be treated for injuries at the hands of Mark. Yeah, well, according to him on the Unsolved Mysteries program, he said that he could only remember one fight that they had. He was so patronizing in that interview, too. And it just so happened that she hurt herself because she fell and happened to twist her thumb on the waterbed. Fucking pompous ass. <laughs> I mean, you just want to reach through the TV and just slap him. But anyway. I'm just saying, I mean. It, we, oh, no, no. I, I watched the interview with him. We, He's, it's, that's his word. I mean, that's got, his story and he's sticking to it. Yeah. I mean, he's never been charged. Nope. And Christy Joe was seen by a doctor who had seen her before and stated that Christy Joe was not very forthcoming with information and acted very scared. Christy Joe and her cousin Debbie were very close and would occasionally meet at Pete's place. It was a local bar. It's and where she worked. Yes, it's also where she fact. worked. And in late November or early December, they met for a drink. And on the way home, Christy confided, confided in Debbie and asked her opinion on something. Debbie would state that Christy said, quote, do you think Lindsay would be traumatized if she saw her dad stab the wall behind her mother's head with a knife, end quote. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I don't know about trauma. I don't know much about trauma other than what I've experienced, but I'm pretty sure that would have affected me. Yeah. If I was a child and I saw my father stab the wall. Yeah. So Debbie says, Christy, what are you talking about? And so Christy Joe goes on to say that her and Mark were in a fight and he had her up against the wall choking her and stabbed the wall behind her head while Lindsay came down the stairs and witnessed it. Christy was more worried for Lindsay than for herself, as Debbie recalled. 
Christy Joe then lifts her shirt up and shows Debbie a huge bruise covering her entire side. It didn't specify which side. Debbie, in no certain terms, tells Christy Joe she needs to get the F out of there. Run. Christy explains she plans to, but she's going to an attorney out of town because she does not want Mark to find out what's going on. So on or around December the 8th, Christy Joe consulted with attorney Claude Berrickman Sr. in Cozad, Nebraska, and that's roughly 10 miles from Gothenburg. She inquired about a divorce and stated she wanted full custody of her children. The attorney stated that he was worried for her well-being and that she appeared to have been beaten recently. She seemed afraid and very worried. She would make a follow-up appointment to go over more details later in the week, and one unconfirmed rumor is that Christy Joe did report to the attorney certain aspects of the abuse that resulted in the attorney making a telephone call to the Gothenburg police. Now, by all accounts, the police chief of Gothenburg, Bob Shackleton, and Mark Nichols' family were very good friends. So you can add one and one together there. And right after the phone call from the attorney to the Gothenburg police reporting the abuse, Mark was informed. Now, it is theorized that she, Christy Joe, went back to work that day after her appointment with the lawyer and when she goes to Mark's parents' home later that night to pick up her children, she is told she cannot have them. Mark was livid about her visit to the lawyer, and Christy contacted the police once his family told her she couldn't have her children, and she tried to file a police report. But, you know, good old Bob Shackleton tells her that Mark has every right to withhold them from her, which is complete and utter bullshit there is no parent has either right unless there's harm perceived to withhold someone's children from them now christy is, christy joe is told to leave mark's parents and if she returns good old bob shackleton's gonna arrest her now the rumor mill states that this was the third time that good old bob had interacted with christy that day he had confronted her at a local convenience store called the Jack and Jill, according to the clerk who witnessed it, as well as on the street, which, you know, Chief Bob does admit to Christy Joe's mother later, telling her something to the effect, effect that she needed to get her act together with this thing with Mark, and that's why he was a concerned citizen. Yeah, horse shit. Now, Christy was freaking out, and all she cared about was getting her children back. She calls Connie in a panic, and that's her mother, remember, that night telling her about her children being taken. Connie informs her that her and her stepfather will come right over there. Christy declines the offer, and she's worried that her stepfather is going to absolutely beat Mark to a pulp if he saw him, which, in hindsight, that would not have been a bad idea. Now, on December 10th, 1987, Christy calls her mother and tells her Mark has brought the children home. He had a list of outrageous demands that she had to agree to in order to get them back. One of them was the length of miles that she could travel from their home. He tells Christy Joe that he had taken her name off of all the bank accounts so she had no money and she had to stop the divorce proceedings. She was not allowed to take the children anywhere and he told her if she left town she would be arrested and would never see her children again. 
Christy, of course, agrees to these demands just so that she can have her children back, but told her mother she would not be following any of Mark's new rules. Christy Joe was to meet with an abuse counselor later that day. Even with Mark's threats, she decided to keep this appointment so she could take her children and escape this marriage. The abuse counselor, Miss Betty Cox, would unfortunately meet with Christy of all places. Guess where their little meeting took place? At the good old Gothenburg Police Department in Bob's office. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yeah, man. So this, this poor girl just cannot catch a break. No, not at all. So just like before, Mark is alerted to what's going on with Christy. And the abuse counselor would tell Connie that Christy needed to get out of the abusive situation she was in, and she had wanted to, her to go to a battered woman's shelter that night. Christy declines and said she would not go unless she had her children and she could get them and be at the shelter the next day. So later in the evening of December the 10th, 1987, Mark and Christy take their children and go out. It is believed that Christy agreed to go out to try to keep things calm until she could get to the kids and leave. They took the kids to Pizza Hut and then hired 17-year-old Diane Jansen to watch the children at their house for the rest of the evening. And in 19, what, 87? Yeah. 89? 87. 87. Pizza Hut's fucking fancy, man. I promise you. In Little Gothenburg, it's a happening joint. <laughs> <laughs> man, there's nothing, you can't top Pizza Hut in the 80s, dude. No, with the red lamps. Exactly, the That's red right. lamps. And the Pac-Man, the little short pac Yeah, lady. hell yeah, man. <laughs> dude, they Good memories there, bro. <laughs> Absolutely. Pictures of Pepsi and Dr. Pepper. Yes, sir. <laughs> we reminiscing. <laughs> Look at us reminiscing. That was, I promise you, in Chatsworth, Georgia, that was fucking fancy. Well, in the little town of the Mooch, where I grew up, mm -hmm. when we got to go to town, we got to go play that Pac-Man game. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that was, I, when I read that, I was like, man, I can just see those red chandeliers. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and back then, though, Pizza Hut pizza was good. It was. And the, and the stuffed crust, I mean, come on, bro. Yeah. That was the fanciest thing you could do in Chatsworth, unless you went to Dalton and went to the Red Lobster. Well, now you're talking highfalutin. You're going to have to put like, your Sunday best on. Yeah, that's like weddings, <laughs> graduations. 50th anniversaries. 50th anniversary, yeah. I mean, that to go to Red Lobster, it had to be a big time. I will say this. we I've gone to Red <laughs> Lobster, I don't know, maybe a handful of times since me and my wife have been married. And every time, it just, you know, well, let's go eat at Red Lobster. And I'm like, I got on shorts and flip-flops and a three-button. <laughs> and I feel horrible. Because I guess that's the way, you know, it was fancy when we were growing up. And then I walk in, and hell, there's people in there with wife beaters on. I'm like, why was I even upset at my dress? Uh, join us next week when we talk about the Pizza Hut podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be going to Red Lobster and flip-flops. you got to put on your Sunday best. you got to lace them shoes it's up. Gonna, it's got to be shoes, dress shoes, dress shirt. Ties optional. I mean, come on. But you got to have a sport jacket. It's Red Lobster. It's fancy. <laughs> Oh, man. So they get Diane Jansen, like I said, 17-year-old, to watch the kids, and Christy and Mark head to Pete's place. And like Coach had said, that's where Christy worked. But guess who owns Pete's place? Mark's uncle. I mean, this, this man has his tentacles into everything. 
Now, his uncle would recall to a local paper that it was evident how stressful things were between Mark and Christy that night. He said they had spent a few hours playing pool and shuffleboard before the bar closed at midnight. After they left the bar, they apparently stopped at the Jack and Jill convenience store in town, according to the clerk. He stated Mark did some shopping while Christy Joe seemed extremely nervous and wanted to get somewhere, it seemed. And she just stayed around by the clerk talking to him. He said Mark bought some milk and breakfast items and they left. Now, this was the last time anyone would see Christy Joe Nichols alive. Well, that's not entirely true if you believe what he says to the babysitter. Now, Mark claims that Christy came in the door a few steps ahead of him and marched right to the bathroom where she stayed for 15 minutes and did not go talk to the babysitter. Now, Diane Jansen, the babysitter, was adamant that only Mark arrived home that night. She only heard one car door, heard one set of shoes on the tile floor, and of course did not see Christy Joe. Mark paid her and she left. Now, Diane found this to be odd because Christy Joe was always the one to pay her for babysitting. In one account, Mark claims him and Christy went to bed, and in another he said they stayed up until 2 a.m. arguing and then went to sleep. Now, an anonymous teenager had a sighting of Mark around the time the babysitter left. Next to the Nichols' house is a park, and this young man would hang out late in the evenings at this park. And on the night that Diane Jansen babysat, this young man stated that he spots Mark by the back of the house near Mark's black pickup truck. Mark and the teen make eye contact, and Mark starts angrily walking towards him, yelling at him. So this poor young man basically shits his pants, gets scared, and gets the heck out of Dodge. A few days later, he would hear about the disappearance of Christy Joe and realized it was the same night that he had the encounter with Mark. Oh, wow. That's, that's crazy. I did not, um, I did not uh, uh, encounter that in my research, but that is that's a little I tip ominous. My, I tip my hat to you, sir. Thank you, sir. You are definitely the research guy. I'm on the dark web. I mean, I just got this old <laughs> laptop that I just hook up to the dark web. And You're on uh, 4chan and <laughs> 8chan and all that stuff. Now, around 8 in the morning on December the 11th of 1987, Christy Joe's mom, Connie, phones to see how things are. Mark answers the phone and tells her that Christy Joe is still in bed. Now, Connie's motherly intuition kicks in, and she gets off the phone with Mark and says, mm, I don't think so. Well, yeah, he's going to claim that, though he knew she was missing, that he just did not want to worry her, which is bullshit, if you ask me. Yeah, complete. I mean, if my wife turns up missing and her mother calls me, She's going to be, oh, my God, he's gone. I don't know what's happened. Yeah, <laughs> like, she's going to get snot like, bubbles. and Yeah, yeah, if if I'm innocent, that is. Yes. If I have no idea what exactly happened, I'm not going to withhold that information. No way. No. After she gets off the phone with Mark, she asks a friend of hers who actually worked for so social service at the time to call and ask for Christy Joe. So the friend does just this, but waits a few minutes after Connie had called. And when she asked for Christy Joe, Mark tells the friend 
that Christy Joe was out shopping. Mark then stated that he was, quote, crying and upset as he dropped his kids off for Christy Joe's grandmother to watch so that he could go look for her. Now, Christy Joe's grandmother has a little different recollection of what actually happened. She states that Mark didn't say one word to her about Christy Joe being missed or being missing or even asked her if she had seen or heard from Christy Joe. And again, he cites, I just didn't want to upset the family. Now, he dropped the kids off at 11 a.m. and then picked them back up two and a half hours later, not saying anything to the grandmother. Now, Mark's whereabouts during this time frame are sketchy at best. It is unknown what all he was doing, but he did apparently try to file a missing persons report for Christy Joe. Given that she was an adult and she had only been, quote, missing for a few hours, he was unable to do so. Now, does Mark wait the allotted time and then file the missing report? Does he go back home with the kids and wait to see if, you know, Christy Joe happens to come back home? Hell no, he don't. Literally, the day his wife goes missing, he takes the kids, moves out of the house, and moves in with his parents. He then forges Christie's name on the titles to their Ford Pinto and Mercury Cougar and sells them, which only leaves him with his black pickup truck for transportation. Hmm. Very suspicious. If That's I not the, <laughs> not the dealings of an innocent man in my book, but I, I mean, I, hey, I'm just saying. I mean, it's it's some would consider that suspicious yeah. activity. Some would raise an eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the community turns out in force and searches for Christy Joe with hundreds of volunteers, but according to her mother, Connie, neither Mark nor his family participated in the search or tried in any way to help find Christy Joe. Mark wanted people to believe that she left him and abandoned their children, but that seems extremely unlikely given the circumstances of her not going to the women's shelter that night because she didn't have her kids. If she were just going to flee on her own, she would not have even bothered to see the attorney or the abuse counselor. It was also reported that Christy Joe may have had a boyfriend around that time. Now, it was even stated in a newspaper article that there was a note found under the seat of Christy Joe's car to this mystery man that read, quote, I want you to know I will probably be leaving after Christmas and I will try to see or talk to you until then. It will all work out somehow. I'm really sorry. I just don't, I don't buy it. I don't know, man. My spotty senses are tingling. They dropped a pan if you could hear that. <laughs> <laughs> there was a name mentioned around town for some of someone that Christy was thought to be seeing, like I said. Now, he agreed to speak to a lady named Crystal Doan on her blog account called lostandfoundblogs.com. Now, he spoke to her on the premise of anonymity, and he stated that he and Christy only went out one time a few weeks before she disappeared, and it was something he regretted. He said there was nothing serious between them and it is unknown if he was the person the note was intended for or if there could have been someone else. I don't put a whole lot of stock in this because like we've kind of documented previously, Mark knew everything that she did. 
He knew that she went to see an attorney out of town because the attorney called the police department. He knew that she worked at the uncle's bar. He knew everywhere she went. And I just find it hard that she would... I find it hard to believe that she had the time and as scared as she was of him anyway and the documented abuse cases and the bruises that would be presented to the ER doctors. She may have met someone, but it may have just been for dinner or drinks and it wasn't anything. It was, you know, platonic and it wasn't sexual in in nature. And it may have just been a male friend that she was trying to voice her opinion, you know, her frustrations to. I really don't think she was stepping out on Mark, which does not excuse him beating the shit out of her. I mean, you never know, though. I mean, why would she not? No, I agree. Why would she not seek refuge somewhere Why would she not? Yeah, I mean, she's going to... She's not getting it at home. No, exactly. She's in an abusive relationship. And if someone shows anyone... I'm sorry to cut you off. No, you're you're good. You're good. Someone that shows... Someone in an abusive relationship, if someone else of the opposite sex shows them a little bit of compassion and respect... Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, or just be sweet to him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just be friendly. I'm, 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 I'm a woman in an abusive relationship, and all of a sudden, some random guy is being nice to me, and he's not coming on to me. <laughs> yeah. He's asking me how my day yeah. went. I mean, come on, why, why would you not try to seek, um, seek that to- that 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 type of a uh, um, uh, relationship encouragement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, um. I know what you're trying to say, and I can't come up with it either. I can see it. It's right there between us, but I can't I can't see it. Yeah, it's hard. Words are hard. Hard. It's just hard. This English Word. language, just, it's difficult. I, I, words are hard. I've been trying to learn Portuguese. I'm on lesson 21. And you still? And what I have learned is I don't know shit about Portuguese, man. It's so fucking hard. I can't even, I can't even do the English language, much less... How are you going? Yeah. 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 That's why I never learned another one. I can't hardly do this one. (laughs) Now, there were some interesting things that were happening around Gothenburg around the time Christy Joe went missing. There was a major construction project going on around then, and an overpass was being built. They had dug deep caissons in order to pour concrete in. And if you don't know what a caisson is, watch Oak Island, and you'll learn real quick. Well, I I don't know what a caisson is, but I do watch Oak Island. It's those big metal... Drilling things that they put the drill down and they hammer it into the earth. Dude, all I'm saying about Oak Island is they better fucking find something fast. <laughs> I can't watch that show anymore. I've gotten past the um, the treasure aspect of it. I'm just all about the like the whole history now where they found the road and all that other yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, they have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt there's something there. Yeah. I have no doubt, but damn it, Get find it. To I the treasure, man. I, yeah, I cannot listen to the narrator anymore. A nail on Oak Island? From an auction? <laughs> Could it be the Knights Templar? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, so we have the big metal casings that they're pouring concrete in. Now, the head of the roads department, Merle Bergman, stated, quote, a tremendous amount of gravel fill used at both locations and remained uncovered during the winter of 87 or 88. Not Merle. I know. Good old Merle. Come on, Merle. I imagine that something could have been buried in that gravel late at night 
and the next morning, you'd never be able to see that there had been any digging. End quote. Another very interesting tidbit of information was that Mark's parents poured a concrete pad on their property just a few days after Christy Joe's disappearance. Really? Now, there was someone who was there when the project was going on, and he stated it was obvious the sand had, quote, air quotes, had been messed with and had to be redone before the concrete could be poured. Now, his parents put a garage on top of the pad, and a newspaper article from around that time that Christy Joe went missing stated that some lye had been stolen during that time from a nearby farmer's co-op. Now, Christy Joe's parents hired a PI, Mr. Dennis Whalen, soon after her disappearance, who worked tirelessly to try to find Christy Joe. When he was given access to Mark and Christy's house weeks after she went missing, he found some interesting things. Under the laundry basket in their bedroom was an area of blood. It appeared to be a small amount, but when it was cut out and sent in for testing, it ended up being around the size of a cup saucer and was enough to soak through the pad to the floorboard. Now, is this going to be the uh, the blood that he's going to claim was menstrual yeah. blood? Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. So Mark claims it's menstrual blood, but... Test determined I mean, that's not the case, and it was Christie's blood. Okay, first of all, what at what point does an adult woman allow her menstrual blood to hit the floor? And then covered up with a laundry basket. Yeah, that's just, that's preposterous. Good word, Dad, man. <laughs> like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Mr. Terry Aarons and Mr. Mel Messersmith from, <laughs> I know, these, these names are killing Those me. names are awesome. From the Man, Nebraska State Police yeah, Messersmith. were brought into the case at this point when the blood was found, according to Connie, and they worked extremely hard to find Christy Joe. Now, Connie would state that if she felt like that if the state police were given the case right away, it would have had a resolution very quickly. She, Chris, uh, Christy Joe's mom, Connie, did not trust the Gothenburg Police Department from day one in how they had handled the case. They treated her poorly and quite the smart ass to her when she would inquire. But being the smart woman that she is, she recorded all of her phone calls with them and called them every day at the beginning of the in- investigation. Now, sadly, Connie and her husband depleted both of their retirement funds and spent well over $100,000 in order to try to find Christy Joe. They did everything in their powers they could think of to find her, but unfortunately, Christy Joe is still missing. Now, the PI, Dennis Whalen, did contact Unsolved Mysteries, and the case was featured in an episode. It included interviews with the ER doctor, who, strangely enough, just happened to be the wife of, remember, good old police chief Bob Shackleton? Well, his wife's the ER doctor that saw Christy Joe and the hand, the evidence of Mark's beatings on her. They interviewed Connie and Debbie. They interviewed attorney Breckman, Berrickman, I'm sorry, as well as an on-camera interview with Mark Nichols where he tried to convince everyone that he was not a violent person. He's just misunderstood. Yeah, he he did not come off well at the Unsolved Mysteries. 
he just really looked like a guilty motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> he did not. God, I hate that. He didn't come off. Well, let's just put it that way. Look it up. Look at look it up and look at watch him. Oh, and he's such a and he's just ass. like I was not a violent person. I cannot believe they would say that I would ever beat her. It was not good. No, it was not. He did not come off well. It's like testifying in your case when you've done something really bad. It's not gonna come off well. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Now he made a ridiculous plea during the episode for Christy Joe to just contact her family. Please come home. I would never beat you. Please just contact us. Yeah, that's that's essentially what it was. <laughs> now, the initial segment prompted roughly 150 calls to the Unsolved Mysteries call center and 15 calls to the Nebraska State Police, but nothing ever came from the tips, unfortunately. Now, in March of 1988, a clue surfaced in the case. At the Maxwell rest stop, and this is roughly 25 miles from Gothenburg, a trucker found Christy Joe's blue suitcase. It had a few random items belonging to her inside, which Mark had precisely detailed months earlier as things his wife had supposedly taken with her when she left their house. I mean, I mean, think about it. Just stop. Collaborate and listen. <laughs> He identified before the police every single item she took. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's minute stuff that you, most men are not going to pay that much attention if to. You know, you you're married. I'm married. I've been married twenty plus years, and I couldn't tell you what I, she puts in a fucking suitcase today. <laughs> if my life, if you had a gun to my head, I'd be like, pull the trigger, buddy. I'm dead. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, your wife left. She took a suitcase. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you if you can't tell me. What's in there? Brother, pull. Go ahead. Because I don't fucking know. Like in Lethal Weapon. Looks like it's going to be a long night for yeah. both of us. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anything. She um, had some clothes and some underwear. Yeah, I'm sure. Makeup. I, yeah, but. <laughs> Am I close? Tell me if I'm close. <laughs> yeah, but to be able to name in exact detail what she took. And what was found. Yeah, I think it's on... That's very suspicious. Unsolvedmysteries.com or unsolved.com. I, I didn't put this in my notes, but I mean, he gets down to like stuff. I mean, he names every item. Like like earring, like the yeah, precise yeah, earrings, everything. this necklace, this everything. bracelet. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? I don't even know what my wife owns. <laughs> like, I would have no idea what she would pack. To run away. If you didn't let me go home and see what was missing, there ain't no way in hell I could tell you. Even what. if even if I did get to go home, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't see. I wouldn't be able to see anything. Like, there's stuff missing? <laughs> you mean she left? <laughs> like, where'd she go? All right, so now Very we Very suspicious. It's extremely suspicious. Now, it also appeared that this said suitcase had been carefully placed there and investigator Terry Aarons from the state police was quoted as saying, quote, we don't know if it was put there to throw us off the trail or put us on the trail, yeah, end quote. It's going to be reported that it was very visible and almost as if it wanted to be found. So after Christy Joe went missing, Mark had custody of the children. Connie and her husband would come every few weeks and visit with their grandchildren. Then in February, 
of the next year, so this is February of 88, when the state police got the case, they arranged for Christie's parents to take custody of the kids because Mark was under suspicion for his wife's disappearance. Mark went apeshit and was extremely pissed at his ex-in-laws, or in-laws, however you want to look at it, for having custody. He proceeded to drag them into court every couple of weeks for various bullshit reasons. There was even a point when Connie recorded some phone calls, and the reason she said she recorded them was that Lindsay, the daughter, was hard to understand, and Mark would get frustrated if he could not understand Lindsay on the phone, so she was trying to help Lindsay and explain what Lindsay was saying to Mark. So Mark sued Connie for $10,000 for recording the phone calls. Now keep in mind that Christie's parents had to travel quite a bit distance to come to court because of this before the trial officially started the judge dismissed the whole thing and stated that due to connie having custody of the children at the time she had every right to record the phone calls connie and her husband would retain custody of the children while mark would get supervised visits for several months but they were eventually put into foster care I couldn't find in my research about the foster care situation. I was under the assumption that if a mom and dad, something happened, custody was awarded to grandparents temporarily, that they could file for permanent custody. But I don't know. I mean, obviously it may have been different back in 88, but who knows. Now, Mark would eventually get custody back when there was no charges forthcoming. Christie's parents did have visitation after that, but Mark kept making it extremely difficult for them by moving often. He officially divorced Christy Joe in 1990 on, quote, abandonment grounds. And then, oddly enough, soon after the divorce was final, he married again. Now, this would be his third wife. He then told Christy Joe's parents that they had they now had a mom, and they did not have any right to come see their grandchildren. Reluctantly, Christy Joe's parents would stop visiting due to the fact that Mark would harass and question the children after each visit, and they felt like it would just be better on the children if they stayed away. Now, according to Christy Joe's family, Mark would move to North Platte, Nebraska, with the children after he married his new wife. Once there, he was arrested at some point and charged with domestic violence in regards to the new wife, but I could not find any records or information on what became of those charges. Now, soon after that incident, Mark would move out of the state of Nebraska. That basically is the facts of the case when it comes to Christy Joe Nichols. Now, closing thoughts, theories... I've made no bones about it during the whole episode. I believe Mark killed his wife. I mean, he had the means, the motive, the opportunity. I mean, spoiler alert, but that's my theory as well. (laughs) He knew that despite his threats and intimidation, Christy was determined to get out of that marriage. And I I feel like he also knew that he was about to lose this facade of this great marriage and family. And he also knew that Christy Joe was probably going to wind up with full custody after all the documented bruises and shit at the ER. The other thing is, 
Mark knew everything that Christy Joe was doing in this little town of Gothenburg. He had his his family was friends with the chief of police. Yeah, his uncle was, owned he, the bar. Yeah, he was very good friends with the chief of police. I mean, he he knew everything. I just don't. I mean, now my personal belief is that sometime after they left the convenience store where she talked to the clerk before they get home, he kills her. He either takes her somewhere and disposes of the body then, or he somehow puts her in the back of the property near his pickup truck when the kid sees him at the park messing with the back of the pickup truck. But the unfortunate thing is no one can find anything anywhere. Yeah, I mean, we, we have to address the fact that there is no evidence for this. No, this is all circumstantial evidence. We, we believe that he killed her, but there's no evidence. There's nothing. There's yeah, the only thing they ever found was that little, I would say, probably a little saucer stain of blood. That well, It probably was more than that because it, it seeped through the carpet into the pad. So you're probably looking at a half a cup of blood, maybe, max. Maybe. But that's still a lot of blood if you think about it's, it. I don't want to lose a half a cup of my blood. It's menstrual blood, though. Yeah, according to him, it is. <laughs> I mean, everything that we've discussed and every 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 aspect of this case points to him but we can't prove it you can't prove it i can't prove it no one can prove it now the state police couldn't prove it connie couldn't prove it so i mean you know short of a body he's gonna get away with it if he did it allegedly yeah. if he did it. allegedly because we have to say that yeah <laughs> one last thing christy <laughs> i feel like christy had a plan i really do i think she had this plan hatched in her brain where she was going to go out. She thought it would be it's near the holidays. I'm going to go out. I'm going to appease this dumbass. I'm going to get home, let him go to sleep. I'm going to snatch the kids up. I'm going to the abuse count or the battered women's shelter. I'm getting the fuck out of here. And unfortunately, she had some shitty luck leading up to that day. She disappeared. He definitely beat her to the punch. Oh, yeah, literally. Yeah. She was going to go, but she never had the chance. And... Now, for the people who still believe that she just up and left, ask yourself why she would have met with an attorney and an abuse counselor. Those are things that you're just not going to do. And we know that she was abused. We have the documented ER accounts. I mean, they have, like, from what I could gather, up to eight separate ER visits where she had bruises and stuff. So those are not made up. And if you believe that she up and left, those meetings would not have been necessary. She would have just left. She would have blown off those two appointments. So the only thing that could have stopped her from going through with her plan was an untimely death at the hands of someone she probably knew. Allegedly, Mark. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> Christy Joe left behind two children and numerous family and friends who loved her and miss her to this day. And in closing, before we get to our recommendations, I just want to say this. First of all, if you're a man and you beat your wife, you're the lowest piece of shit. You're, you are one, one micro step above child molesters. Yep. Number two, any of our female listeners out there, if you are in an abusive relationship, get the fuck out. Find someone you can talk to. Like we stated earlier, Give someone there's, the benefit. Someone will treat you like you're supposed to be treated somewhere. There's, there's help available. Yeah, now more than any time. I mean, you have your cell phone to record. You have 
You can set up wireless cameras. You can catch this motherfucker in the act. <laughs> so that's my little soapbox, and I'll kick that to the side. <laughs> so recommendations? I'm going to recommend a, a YouTube page called Top 5 Unknowns. Ew. It's, uh, very they got three things on their top five? What? They only have three, or they have five? They, if they start with one, I'm turning they, it off. They, they, they start at five and okay, go good, down. Good. <laughs> but it's a very good page. It's uh, The narrator is Ty Knotts. And he has a very good voice, so please look at that page and um, let me know what you think. Excellent. Well, my recommendation, if you want to learn more about Christy Joe's case... I got most of my information from Crystal Dawn on her blog. It is lostandfoundblogs.com. I will post a link to that on our socials. And it is under Christy Nichols, Marked for Murder. I want to give her a big shout-out and a thank you. It would have, it, this, Her blog made my research 10 times easier, along with the other 1,700 web pages <laughs> I had open. <laughs> well, Slappy, you got anything else? I do not, sir. All right, man. Well, y'all have a good one, and uh, deuces. <laughs>